0: To the land of extreme, welcome to twenty years of Nitro Hardcore TV edition. Our first ever critique of Extreme Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where episodes are infrequently viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized, as we offer a glimpse at the semi-underground sensation of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Rutt, and to honor ECW's solo play-by-play announcer, Joey Styles, I will be doing this episode alone. Swerve! What?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm actually joined, <laughs> as always, by my broadcast colleague, Dave Amontor. Dave, how are you doing
2: today? Oh, man. I got some thoughts about this show. <laughs> <laughs> well and I'm i I'm ready. We're gonna review the uh, the redheaded stepchild of the Monday Night Wars. It's hardcore TV, which um, I was asking you the other day or earlier today actually as far as what episode this was. Right. Because for the life of me, I could not find the actual like tapings as far as cause I was like, is this in the ECW arena? What oh, dates sure. were these? Yeah, yeah. I can't find when these matches actually happened.
0: I know some of that. Um, so okay. I will cover a little bit of that as we go through. I know there's two matches that we're gonna talk about on tonight's show, one of which I can tell you exactly when it took place the other i I honestly didn't look into it that deeply. um but I'm curious before we kind of get into this episode of hardcore TV, you know we've certainly talked uh, at great length about our experiences with WCW. We've talked a little bit about WWF., uh, we've never really talked about ECW and were you, you know, your awareness of ECW kind of, when you heard about it, what you knew about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll start because mine's probably shorter because you were actually a wrestling fan at this point in history. I I had been a fan, and I was going to be a fan again very soon. But at this point in time, I just was not watching wrestling. So I was blissfully unaware. I shouldn't say blissfully. uh, I just did not know about ECW. Mm -hmm. When I came back into wrestling, ECW was like this mysterious underground cool thing because uh I, you and i are from minnesota we're not from the northeast or mm-hmm. uh there were a few other markets and we'll talk about those later where this was on television uh but it was not on at least not that i knew of uh here in minnesota so i had just no way i wasn't into wrestling enough where i was like a tape trader yep so i was reading like wrestling news with a z type websites mm-hmm. so it felt like i knew all these names i knew mikey Whipwreck and sandman and dreamer and the guys that were there when i came back into wrestling in 99 um, some of the names that are here at this point had kind of gone to wwf or w- uh, wcw by then but you know i so i knew of these guys and i would like read about these title changes but i really did not see any ecw until like the wwe network right so uh, what was your experience
2: Um, uh, well as far as keeping up with it that was through a lot because between my brother John and I, we yeah. got like all the wrestling magazines—sure, Inside Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, The Wrestler—and they always had the like reviews and like some pictures and stuff like that. So I was I was pretty well aware of what ECW was. Um, also at the time, in '96, I w- is around the time I just like n- learned how to use the internet. Yeah. And, and I do remember that I was able to watch uh, some ECW shows online. Oh, wow. This wasn't – it. It's I guess I can't – I don't really remember it very well, so I don't remember exactly how I found the shows. Yeah. But it was I, It was like through like a real-time or like a Winamp or – I yeah. can't remember the name of the program, but, I mean, the quality was awful. It was like – Oh, sure, yeah. It was basically watching GIFs with sound.
0: Well, that's surprising because Winamp really
2: whips the llama's ass, I've heard. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so i've heard <laughs> um and um and i know that and i know i was a big Shane Douglas fan. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, and there was a time where uh at the Mall of America they had the RF video stand. Oh, uh, i didn't so, i don't remember that. Yeah, and so i got um best of the franchise Shane Douglas. Yeah. And later on i got one of just Yoshihiro Tajiri, but that's like a few years down the road. Sure. But uh, I got the Shane Douglas one and that was like, the it was like all of his 96 stuff. And 96 yeah. was kind of like his big, big year. Yeah. And it was also kind of as, he really, he wasn't the champion per se, but he was the top guy. Right. And as, yes. you'll, as you'll see from this show, absolutely, he's promoted as the top guy. Yep. And um, yeah, so I was able to learn a lot about like him, Two Cold Scorpio, um, a little bit of Jericho. So I, I had like an idea of Jericho by the time he came into WCW. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's like I had I had a good idea as far as who these guys were. Um, I didn't I just I didn't see a whole lot. And especially since like if it's just a video of Shane Douglas, yeah. I'm not getting exposed to a whole lot of like how their whole production is. Right. I knew it as like ECW was kind of like the forbidden thing. It's right. like um, like when you were younger and your parents didn't want you're watching beavis and butthead right so of course you wanted to watch beavis and butthead right yeah ecw was a beavis and butthead wrestling
0: (laughs) now if you're listening to this show there's very little chance that you don't know what ecw is or their place in wrestling history but i am addicted to context Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean we're here we're doing an episode of our podcast reviewing ecw just to give more context to our podcast about WCW. Right. Uh so you'll excuse me if I will go through a little bit of history of ECW uh and in order to do that first I need you to tell you about their promoter Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman was born in Westchester County, New York. His father was a prominent personal injury attorney and his mother a survivor of the Holocaust. Heyman was a lifelong wrestling fan and highly self-motivated hustler, initially making his way into the business as a teenaged photographer and newsletter writer. Heyman's big opportunity actually came in his 20s when he was working for the famous New York City Nightclub Studio 54 as a club promoter. Heyman wound up capitalizing on his wrestling contacts built up from years of photography by promoting Wrestle Party 85, a charity wrestling show held by the Disco. A rookie wrestler on that show named Bam Bam Bigelow took a shine to Heyman and urged him to work as a manager. Heyman started working the Northeast Indies in 1987 as Paul E. Dangerously, a name inspired by the 1984 Michael Keaton movie Johnny Dangerously. Heyman worked in championship wrestling from Florida, Memphis, the AWA, and more, Eventually, he wound up in Alabama working for the Continental Wrestling Federation, where he became assistant booker working under Eddie Gilbert. He was also the head booker for Windy City Wrestling in Chicago. In 1968, Heyman joined Jim Crockett Promotions, which soon became World Championship Wrestling. He spent time both as a manager and announcer, frequently working with and learning from Jim Ross. In 1991, Heyman formed the Dangerous Alliance stable with Rick Rude, Steve Austin, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, Medusa, and Larry Zbysko. Heyman was unique in WCW in that he managed to get a contract as an employee of the organization, which by then had transitioned from Jim Crockett Promotions to uh, Turner Broadcasting, not an independent contractor. This allowed Heyman to have his road expenses covered by the company, a savings of around $40,000 per year. This had been promised to him by Executive Vice President Jim Hurd and was honored by Herm's replacement, Kip Fry. Fry was soon replaced by Cowboy Bill Watts, who came in looking to cut costs. Watts targeted the contract of Heyman, but couldn't outright release him because the contract was guaranteed. Watts gave Heyman bullshit work to do and made anti-Semitic remarks in his presence, all in an attempt to make Heyman quit. (laughs) When that failed, Watts seized upon a promo that Heyman gave at Halloween Havoc 92 where Heyman called Medusa a bitch and a hooker against WCW's family friendly policies, which gave Watts the pretext needed to levy a hefty fine on Heyman. An intense argument between the two men followed in which both accused each other of being too friendly with the dirt sheets. Watts claimed to have never given an interview to a dirt sheet, at which point Heyman produced a copy of the Pro Wrestling Torch interview, which included racist remarks made by Watts. Watts' response to this was to say, quote, why don't you go back to New York to your Jew fucking lawyers because you all belong together? Huh. This was said in front of witnesses, the first time Watts had been stupid enough to make this kind of anti-Semitic comments with others around. This was around the same time as that Watts referred to Heyman and Medusa as, quote, a Jew and a cunt in a meeting full of wrestlers. <laughs> Soon after those incidents, Heyman was fired over allegations that he had falsified expense reports. So in early 1993, Heyman sued the company for wrongful termination. WCW was served those papers mere days after Watts was fired, when Turner executive and baseball legend Hank Aaron learned of the aforementioned racist comments and lobbied personally to Ted Turner for Watts' ouster. Uh, In an interesting side note to that story, it was Pro Wrestling Torch writer and future WCW broadcaster Mark Madden who faxed a copy of that interview to Hank Aaron. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) just stirring shit up, I guess. Not a Watts fan. I don't know. (laughs) Having just fired Watts for making racist remarks, WCW and Turner had no interest in going to court with Heyman over the allegations and quickly settled uh, something that was very favorable to him. I imagine this settlement provided Heyman with the financial security to do whatever the fuck he wanted for a while. One of his plans was to again work with Jim Crockett, who was about to launch a new promotion now that his non-compete from selling WCW to Turner had expired. Heyman booked one show for Crockett, but they had creative disagreements, which led Heyman to accept an invitation from his old mentor, Eddie Gilbert, to head to Philadelphia and help with the creative direction of Eastern Championship Wrestling. There we go. In 1989, Joel Goodhart, a successful Philadelphia businessman from the insurance sector, created the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, looking to serve the types of fans he felt were not being served by WWF and WCW at the time. Goodhart loved wrestling and put together indie dream cards, and these early shows often featured bloody matches and hardcore wrestlers like Sabu. Goodhart ran the business like a fan and constantly went over budget putting together stack cards, and by 1992... He was flat broke. (laughs) He sold the assets of TSWA to his minority owner and assistant ring announcer, Todd Gordon, a Philadelphia pawn shop owner. Gordon rebranded the promotion Eastern Championship Wrestling and assembled a small team of staff operating under a more modest vision, using cheap local talent to promote shows at a nearby bar. The business grew, and after Gordon realized that neither he nor his team were any good at booking shows, he brought in Eddie Gilbert, stealing him from a rival Philly-based indie promotion run by a promoter named Dennis Coraluzzo, who will be very important minutes later in the story. Gilbert's hiring was a shot in the arm for the company, who started using bigger talent such as former NWA world champion Terry Funk. Gilbert brought a Memphis and Southern booking philosophy and an aesthetic that went with the Goodhart era of blood and violence being a part of the promotion. Gilbert brought in Heyman, and things were very good for a bit, but by mid-1993 the relationships between both Gilbert and Gordon and Gilbert and Heyman had soured, and Todd Gordon and Paul Heyman squeezed Gilbert out so that Heyman could take over his duties. The final straw was ECW joining the NWA and working with Jim Crockett, whom Eddie Gilbert hated. Heyman took the reins in September of 1993, right as the company debuted some new characters who would be huge in the promotion, such as the Tasmaniac, Public Enemy, and more. ECW continued a slow upwards trajectory until 1994, when NWA board member Jim Crockett asked Gordon to host an NWA World Heavyweight Championship tournament in Philadelphia, as ECW had the best television coverage of any NWA member at the time. However, this move was opposed by the NWA president, Dennis Coraluzzo. Ah. In 1993, a group of promoters, including Gordon Corlazzo, Crockett, and Cornette, uh, and Jim Cornette, who was then running Smoky Mountain Wrestling, met with the goal of resurrecting the NWA and rebuilding the brand after the raids by the WWF and the secession of WCW. At the meeting, Corlazzo was voted the NWA president. Coraluzzo, of course, had deep resentment towards Gordon and Eastern Championship Wrestling from their promotional wars in their shared Northeast territory, and he also hated ECW's violent style. He sabotaged them whenever possible, calling fire marshals to close down their shows, sending tapes of their most violent matches to towns where ECW was about to have a show in an attempt to get the events canceled, etc., etc. Wow, Dirty. Coralazzo begrudgingly agreed that ECW could host the championship tournament, but he would be personally there to oversee it. The winner of the tournament and new NWA champion was to be the current ECW champion, uh, WWF and WCW alum Shane Douglas. Gordon Heyman decided that they were through with the NWA, which did nothing to help their promotion and whose president actively worked against them. Together with Douglas, they conspired on a plan to screw the NWA, which they successfully executed on August 27, 1994, when Douglas defeated Two Cold Scorpio in the tournament finals to become the NWA World Champion before he cut the following promo.
3: I stand here before God and my Father in heaven tonight as I said I would be World Heavyweight Champion. In the tradition. In the tradition of Jack Briscoe, of the Briscoe Brothers, of Terry Funk Jr., of Terry Funk, the man who'll never die. As the real nature boy, Buddy Rogers, upstairs tonight. Wrestling, the era of the franchise, the era of the ECW. <laughs> <laughs> E-C-W, E-C-W, E-C-W,
1: E-C-W, 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 ECW.
0: Douglas then threw down the NWA belt and extreme championship wrestling was born.
2: This, that that is an iconic moment
0: it's so great everything yeah. about it
2: mm-hmm. yes <laughs> i i didn't realize there was so much animosity like that yeah i thought it was um more just them taking the opportunity to to show ecw yeah um, No, I there d- were
0: personal aspects at play here yeah
2: that makes the story even better <laughs> Coraluzzo was initially
0: assured that this was an angle meant to build towards an ECW-NWA feud, but of course that never materialized. Uh Some even claimed that this was a work and Coraluzzo knew that Douglas would do that and cut that promo, but the actual screw job was just that ECW never had planned to actually do the planned feud. Either way, the end result was that the NWA was made to look like idiots, and ECW positioned themselves as the perfect promotion for the nonconformist, grungy 1990s.
2: Plus, I mean, just adds prestige to their own championship. Yes. If he's like, this, the, the most storied title in wrestling history means nothing because it's not the ECW title.
0: Later on in 95, Heyman would buy the promotion from Gordon uh, to become sole owner, though Gordon would stay on as an on-screen commissioner. ECW continued to grow and featured violent matches with guys like the Sandman and Sabu, but also had many luchadors and cruiserweights, as we mentioned many times on our show when we talk about the guys that made their way to WCW. Uh, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, Rey Mysterio, uh, Juventud Guerrero most recently. Eddie. Uh, yeah, Eddie, of course, mm-hmm. uh, and it's Juventud Guerrera. I just did the thing I always complain about where people <laughs> right. screw that up. The franchise Shane Douglas remained an important part of the top of the card until he returned to the WWF in 1995 for a disastrous run as Dean Douglas, a run that was actively sabotaged at every turn by the members of the Click.
2: <sighs> Boy, rough stuff. <laughs> it's the most, it's like in comparison to who he was on, yeah. on the indies, it's like emasculating character it's it's i i couldn't imagine a worse character to have to play than like a school teacher
0: yeah yeah it's it's terrible and the and the way the click treated him just cut the balls off it it was a one-year thing um, he was miserable the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as he finished up at the end of '95, he immediately rejoined ECW. Came back as a babyface. They were so happy to have him back. Mm-hmm. Of course, he had left as a you know arrogant heel, the sort of character that we see on the show. Yeah. Uh, tonight, he when he joined back, he reignited a feud with Cactus Jack, who was at the time cutting promos against ECW's hardcore style. Mm-hmm. This was his like ECW heel run where he just was against everything ecw stood for
2: also just brilliant yes
0: really 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 good uh, he defeated Jack at Cyberslam, the same event where Brian Pillman debuted and threatened to whip out his dick. You might remember we talked about oh, that a yeah. long, long time ago. <laughs> oh, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Douglas would turn heel shortly after winning the ECW television title, which he would go on to lose to a tag team wrestler, Pitbull No. 2, after Douglas insulted the Pitbull's manager, Francine, and gave her a belly-to-belly suplex. This led to Heat Wave 1996, which took place a month and a half ago from where we currently are at in our timeline, where Shane Douglas defeated Chris Jericho, Two Cold Scorpio, and Pitbull No. 2 in a Four Corners match to regain the television title. During that match, Francine turned on the Pitbulls and aligned with Douglas, causing Pitbull Number 1, Gary Wolf, to powerbomb her through a table. In retaliation, Douglas DDT'd Pitbull Number 1 onto the title belt, which legitimately broke Wolf's neck though he didn't realize it till he saw a doctor the following day. He actually says after he broke his neck, when he didn't know that it was broken, he was backstage just trying to like click it back into place. And he's like, I could have paralyzed or killed myself Mm -hmm. because he was just like messing with his broken neck unknowingly. So as we begin this program, Douglas and Francine are the top heel in the company. Douglas is the television champion. The world champion is Raven, who is not a part of tonight's episode. Yeah, we do not get a word from the champion, unfortunately. I'm a, I'd love to. I know we're gonna pl- get plenty of him on WCW soon, um, but I'm a big fan of Raven, mm-hmm. or at least I. I'm not that exposed to him, so I think I'm a big fan. I'm anxious to see if that actually holds true. So I was kind of disappointed that he is nowhere to be seen. They've only got an hour, so it makes sense that not every character is on every episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a little disappointing.
2: Yeah, and and there is uh, ECW had like these little phases in their history in which the television champion was elevated over the world uh, champion. Interesting. Um, Right now, with Shane Douglas is one example, and yeah. then later on, when Rob Van Dam...
0: Yeah, I'm kind of aware of that period. Yeah, yeah. when he's
2: champion, then, especially since Shane Douglas is champion but injured, uh-huh. and he's actually, I believe Shane Douglas is on the shelf for like six months. Oh, is that when he's got his like arm in a... His arm is fucked up or something? I can't remember exactly what I it is. I feel like I've
0: seen picked random shows on the network where Shane Douglas is like doing commentary,
2: and his arm is in like a oh, big sure. cast. Oh, sure, Yeah. Um, so he spent six months as champion, but also injured ah. and so they just have Ravadan the television champion be like the main event gotcha um so it's not it's it's kind of like the beginning of of what kind of becomes sort of a tradition for them is that the television championship is very important the, just, despite how it looks
0: yeah yeah, we'll talk about that <laughs> in a little bit. <laughs> The tag team champions who also do not appear tonight are the gangsters, Mustafa Saeed and New Jack. Mm -hmm. The flagship show of ECW is ECW Hardcore TV, a syndicated program airing on a local Philadelphia cable sports station, Sports Channel Philadelphia. Uh, It's every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. and again at 11 p.m. It also aired in New York on the MSG Network Saturday nights at 1 a.m., and at various times throughout its run was shown in Chicago, Orlando, Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, Boston, and San Francisco, as well as many other smaller markets. Uh, It won the show, that is, won the fan-voted Observer Award for Best Television Show in 1994 and 1995, and it's on its way to making it a trifecta here. Uh, It wins again in 1996. Hmm. The episode that we are reviewing today originally aired on Tuesday, September 3rd, 1996. Now, this show is structured much differently from Raw or Nitro. Uh, it does not feature a consistent live broadcast from a single venue mm-hmm. uh, where we kind of just check in, you know, over the course of a couple hours. It's instead made up of matches, promos, and packages shot at a variety of locations and events. Typically, it did not feature a build to a main event. It wasn't something where they tell us in the beginning we're going to build to this main event. Right. Uh, the number of matches, the order they were put in was kind of just done randomly. Uh, in order to sort of give you the feeling that anything could happen at any time. The matches were taped at ECW live events, typically at the ECW arena, although occasionally elsewhere. Uh, The ECW arena was a former freight warehouse in South Philadelphia, which had partly been converted to an event hall in the 1980s. The show, like I said, aimed to be unpredictable, much as Eric Bischoff had structured Nitro to be as different as possible from Raw, it's very clear that Paul Heyman sought to deliberately design his show to be as different as possible from both Nitro and Raw. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything about this show is very, very different from Nitro and Raw. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this review will, of course, be a little bit different as we get a ton of short vignettes and promos uh, and just two matches, like I said earlier. So when possible, I'll add some context on who these guys are and what existing feuds were in the company. Uh, But I didn't research everything, because we're not going to do week in and week out ECW, so there might be some things that fall through the cracks here. Right. Uh, But consider this the weird Saudi Arabian Royal Rumble of our podcast.
4: (laughs) (laughs) You know, Francine, right now, everybody's sitting at home. With their stale potato chips on their bellies, their warm beer sitting next to them, and they're all in front of the boob tube watching the Jerry Lewis Labor Day telethon, hoping they might get a glimpse of people (laughs) in (laughs) their They're all hoping that those kids at home, all the lame kids at home, pick a pencil up in their mouth and scrawl out a note to Jerry Lewis saying, please, Mr. Lewis, Please! raise just one more stinking dollar because that buck might make the difference between whether pit bull number one, Gary Wolf, ever wrestles again or not. You see, the swim from the island behind me, for a franchise, that's nothing more than a light workout. But for you, Gary Wolf, it is something that you will never do. Spending the day at the beach, oh, that might not be strenuous, but for you, Gary, it's something that you can never do strenuous <laughs> spending the day with you sweetheart now that's strenuous
3: <laughs> gary you can't do this either
0: <laughs> oh but i can <laughs> we open the show on a beautiful lake francine is standing thigh deep in the water in a swimsuit that does not leave much to the imagination uh for any of the lady bits right The franchise, Shane Douglas swims up to her and starts cutting a promo as they walk up to the beach, with him keeping a very creepy and possessive grip on her arm. Well, just the
2: the swimming up to the. Yeah. He applies that he swam from like this island. Yeah, he shares that in a minute. (laughs) Yeah. But, and what I like about that is like. It's even funnier if you just think that he's making it up because he's a heel. Yeah, Yeah.
0: (laughs) he's doing the Ron Burgundy 998,
1: 999.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Douglas says that everyone else is sitting at home covered in potato chips watching the annual Jerry Lewis Labor Day Telethon, a televised charity event the comedian hosted from 1966 through 2010 to raise money for children born with muscular dystrophy. Douglas says that everybody is hoping that those lame kids put a pencil in their mouths and scrawl a note to Lewis, begging him to raise some additional money for Pitbull number one, as it may be the only way to make sure he ever wrestles again. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> right. We're coming in hot tonight. <laughs> wow. there's We've heard some disgusting stuff the Hogan's Waco comment mm-hmm. uh, is probably the worst. We'll hear a little bit uh, tomorrow when we cover raw. Yeah. Um, I, we remember Vince McMahon, uh, the other time we covered raw when he was using the OJ verdict to get people to call into the right. hotline. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing how much like shitty, uh, the, the sort of a observer award for worst promotional tactic, Is an award he gives every year, and like (laughs) it seems like we see every single one of those when we just randomly watch these
1: shows.
0: (laughs) Douglas claims to have swam all the way from an island in the distance, a light workout for him, but something that Wolf will never do again. Because he's paralyzed, (laughs) right? (laughs) Nor will Wolf ever again relax at the beach, which... Doesn't make sense like even with the broken neck now he's had surgery and stuff he could go to the beach if he wanted that's Mm -hmm. allowed (laughs) he could recover all the time on the beach if he wanted to (laughs) Douglas says that spending the day with Francine is strenuous hint hint (laughs) and that's also something Wolf will never do. Uh, bone Francine he means (laughs) but in case we miss that implication Francine then says to the camera with her trashy northeastern accent Mm -hmm. Gary you can't do this either (laughs) but I can laughs the franchise as they walk off and the title song plays (laughs) now the version of the song we get is it's the WWE network version which is just some stock music Uh, what would actually be the opening beat at the show is you know, eventually they settle on that kind of iconic opening that we think of with ECW TV, where it kind of goes into Paul going like, extreme. Yeah. So they're not using that in 1996. What they're actually using is the opening beat from Closer by Nine Inch Nails. The intro features a lot of famous ECW moments, like the Sandman's son turning on him and joining Raven, and the time that the fans threw all the chairs in the ring. You know the one I mean. <laughs> It seemingly ends showing Raven holding the championship belt and a title card, but then the music continues on and we actually see some footage around the most current storyline involving Douglas and the Pitbulls. We see some highlights of the Pitbulls, then footage from Heatwave 96 in the Francine turn, her table bump, Douglas celebrating his win and the DDT that broke Gary Wolf's neck. We then see Pitbull number 2 coming out for a later match against Douglas with the injured Wolf at his side. Uh, Wolf is wearing one of those halo casts where you wear like the whole chest protector thing and then the big uh, metal circle around your head that mm-hmm. has a bunch of bolts and just holds your neck in place. Yeah. Every time you see one of those, you just think what a nightmare that person's daily life must be until they get that thing off. Right. Ugh. so he is wearing that. He again, that's a legit in- injury. He actually needs to wear that.
2: Yeah. And um, I remember during that match that Shane Douglas grabs him and rings him around by the halo. That's later oh Um, is it yes Ah. so
0: what they did very smartly uh, because they're ECW and they knew how to do shit like this is uh, Gary Wolf was supposed to get it off he was like he had recovered he was supposed to get it off Mm -hmm. Heyman asked him to keep it on for one more week and then what they did is at when it was like a week later and he had even beyond fully recovered Mm -hmm. they did the bit where douglas grabbed it and wrenched it around and the crowd went crazy wanted to kill shane douglas right uh because they thought like holy shit this is getting real he's really fucking around with this guy's because he'd been walking around philadelphia for six eight weeks wearing that halo everyone knew it was legit yeah um so like shane douglas is like uh, i saw a shooting interview where he was like probably should have done that like it was no <laughs> real danger to anybody but right. just like it, danger to him shane douglas for the crowd like
2: stabbing him right <laughs> that's yeah I, I didn't realize that they that they took precautions like that yep uh but that that's great that's good
0: stuff <laughs> we see more footage from that event with wolf uh cutting what appears to be an emotional promo before uh, the match before being confronted and taunted by douglas and francine we then see Douglas win the match after being given a chain by Francine and Pitbull number two powerbombing the ref in anger afterward. <laughs> so that kind of catches us up, everything that we've got recently with the Pitbulls and Chain Douglas. Mm-hmm. So other than that video and then a promo that we're about to get, that's kind of it for the, like, they spent a lot of time establishing that storyline, mm-hmm. but it's not really a through line for the rest of the episode at all.
2: Yeah, it it really seemed like that the opening video was just like, you're not gonna see everything tonight but here's the stories that you need to keep up with so it's
0: an interesting way of doing it though because unless we've lost narration because of the music being dubbed which is entirely possible Mm -hmm. uh, but unless we've lost narration they don't like tell you what's happening you just see these images these little clips yeah and you got to kind of piece together like what are they telling like what is happening here Mm -hmm.
5: hello everyone and welcome to Extreme Championship Wrestling. I'm Joey Styles, and on this week's show... On this week's show, the franchise.
4: On this week's show, Francine. <laughs> Pitbull, a little message for you. I'm the man that stopped you from regaining the belt that you thought was yours. Thought you'd take like a hot knife through butter. I'm the guy that <laughs> got the girl that you thought was once yours. <laughs> I'm the guy, Pitbull, Anthony that stopped you from getting back to where you wanted to be as a single or as a tag team. I'm the man that broke your partner's neck and cracked his skull and tore up the pitfalls once and for all. Put it down the drain and fuss it. <laughs> Cause it's no more. I'm not like some 49 year old man who's trying to live on past glories. I'm not like some contemporary of mine that's gonna dance with little punk kids to try to establish themselves and market their wares. What I am is a world champion the Extreme Championship Wrestling World Television Champion. And the 16 pounds of gold that I wear, I wear for a reason. Because I've said it before, I'm a gladiator. I walk to the ring and I kick people's tails and I break necks and I like every second of it because I'm the best and I say I'm the best and that makes me the best. So pit bull number two, when you think about regaining a title that's not yours, when you think about getting back a woman that doesn't want you, <laughs> when you think about stepping back in the ring with your friend your partner might as well be your brother gary wolf just think once and for all why they call me franchise why they call me champion why they call francine the best cheerleader for the franchise in the world today because you see people simply put your winners
0: you, my friend are a loser <laughs>
3: You know what,
0: Joey? Joel a better announcer than you are. After the intro package, we get Joey Styles, the voice of ECW. He tries to tell us what's coming up this week, but is immediately interrupted by a shirtless but hatted Douglas <laughs> and Francine. This promo was evidently cut during a live event, though it isn't in the ring. It's like in front of a just drop cloth with an ECW logo on it. Mm -hmm. But you can hear the fans just talking and cheering and chanting Pitbull at Douglas to get under his skin a little bit. Yeah. Douglas talks more shit to the Pitbulls and then talks some veiled shit about Hogan, where uh, Douglas points out that he's not a 49 year old man living out past glories before Douglas moves on to Shawn Michaels saying that he's also not a contemporary of his who
2: dances around with little punk kids. Well, I mean, wouldn't that be really against Ric Flair? Because Ric Flair is always the guy that he's railing against. But he's he's
0: talking about how he's a champion, and then he talks about the champions of WCW and WWF. Uh, Hogan's currently WCW champion. Michaels is currently fair WWF enough. champion.
2: Fair enough.
0: Douglas says that he's a world champion, the ECW world television champion, and he talks about the 16 pounds of gold he wears because of it. This supposed 16 pounds of gold looks like absolute horseshit. Right. It definitely doesn't weigh 16 pounds. It's not gold. Right. It just says heavyweight wrestling champion on it. So Mm. it's like just a belt if you went into a belt store and you said give me one of your belts that would just be one of the ones they had on stock right it doesn't say ecw on it or even like the old company name nothing just heavyweight wrestling champion
2: and it doesn't even have like the little panels alongside it either yeah it's just the the main thing so it's like it has to be the lightest belt possible So I I I was I thought it was funny when he said it was 16 pounds of gold cuz it's yeah there's no way that thing weighs 16 pounds.
0: And it really undercuts his message of like hey you got this old fart and you got this kid friendly guy I'm a real champion but it's like nah you look like you have a prop though. Like right. you <laughs> easily have the worst belt of the 3. Yes. Douglas says quote I'm the best and I say I'm the best and that makes me the best. <laughs> point taken (laughs) he then goes on about how he's great and pitbull number one is a loser and then walks off (laughs) francine who's been manhandling joey styles in the way that woman always does to mean gene yeah uh she says that joel gertner is a better announcer than joey and then we fade to black (laughs) i didn't think the content of the promo was all that great but i do see douglas definitely has charisma Mm -hmm. uh i i can get invested like he has great heal chemistry with Francine Mm -hmm. I think that's a good duo I think and we'll certainly talk about the way that women are portrayed tonight it's pretty fucked up that he like power bombed her a few times and now she's just on his side it's Um, it's like some sort of Stockholm syndrome women in ECW are just like they're props you commit their props they have no agency of their own if you commit violence against them they might just like at least half the time they'll just join up with you Mm -hmm. they're like oh you made a good point yeah it's it's uh, yeah we've, we've got a lot to say about that i'm sure so what did you what do you think of shane's opening promo here
2: uh well it's pretty it's pretty run in the mill i mean is kind of like he has this feud that that's uh that's going on with pitbull that's going to be resolved at some point and so it's just kind of him readdressing that and for the fact that it's like like i said before he's kind of been uh advertised as like the top champion yeah so it's giving him like his appearance on that episode so um there isn't really anything memorable from the the promo itself but it's still progressing this story so
0: yeah that's that's absolutely true
2: i I mean i don't know why they gave him that one if he started off the show with a promo in the ocean or whatever it
0: is weird (laughs) the layout seems like you could have thrown in the lake promo later or something or i i don't know it's it's just a weird order of things i
2: mean i'd there's no other wrestling show that really feels like things are cut and paced together. Right. You know, cause it's like he, he probably gave like a hundred different generic interviews about, uh, Pitbull too. And it's just like, okay, we'll put this one in here cause it's the right amount of time or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it basically, he got two promos to serve the same purpose. And even, and I thought the first one was better because it kind of had like a little bit more, uh, like, depth to it and like,
0: and being at the lake that's different than just being at an arena being a wrestler at an arena yelling like and i, I like the idea that he said that swim which he yeah. obviously <laughs> didn't do
2: was a light workout
0: next up is a video package recapping recent events with doug furnace and rob van dam a week previously hardcore tv opened up with a match of rvd against a mystery opponent who turned out to be doug furnace Furnace is a former powerlifter and WCW alum, having been part of Sting's 1990 stable, Dudes with Attitudes. (laughs) Van Dam was at this time a heel in the midst of a heated feud with Cebu. RVD won the match against Furnace with a Van Daminator, and the crowd cheered both men for a very good match. RVD got on the mic and told Furnace that he respected him and offered a handshake. This week's video package picks up from there, with Furnace choosing instead to lariat RVD. We then see Styles interviewing Furnace later on last week's episode, where he reveals that Furnace and RVD will face off in the future in a tag team match where both men can name any partner of their choosing. Furnace says that he will team with his regular partner, Dan Crawford, who WWF fans may remember teaming with Furnace uh, in the Fed under his real name of Phil
2: LaFon. Okay. Furnace. That, that makes because <laughs> When I hear Doug Furnace, I think Doug Furnace and Phil LaFon. yeah. And I was yeah. Like, Who's this other guy? Because I didn't look it up. That's my mistake, but
0: okay. (laughs) Furnace and Crawford, often wrestling under the name the Can-Am Express, because one's Canadian, one's American, have been a remarkably successful tag team internationally over the last eight years, winning titles in Japan and Mexico, including a well-received run in All-Japan, wherein they had a tag team title match against Kenta Kabashi and Siyoshi Kikuchi that earned a five-star rating from the Wrestling Observer, as well as being named the Observer Match of the Year for 1992. Oh, so they got some
2: credentials? Yes, indeed.
0: I I remember that sort of. Uh, I don't shouldn't say I remember because I didn't at the time, but I've sort of gleaned from hearing now that like, if you were sort of an indie wrestling nerd um, around the time that Furnace and LaFon were in WWF, it was mm-hmm. one of those things where you're like, you you guys, they're going to be so great, and then it was just like a disappointing match you were like no to just give it one more chance and it just was like every week and it's just mm-hmm. one of those things where it'd be like if daniel bryan or cm punk joined and it just like fizzled out and didn't work yeah almost like a i know he's not on their level but like a sammy callahan you know who came mm-hmm. from the indies with a lot of hype and then did that shitty solomon crow gimmick in nxt and then vanished
2: yeah or or Caval, loki or if they tried to like have dan Severn as a, a straight up like Professional wrestler, right, right. I mean, because these guys, they have, like you said, they have all their credentials, international yeah. success, but they just, they didn't really have like any sort of like charisma or like that it factor. They which were you, missing
0: what, the thing that WWF requires their guys to have. They, right, these guys were just good wrestlers, and that was about it, right. And that would probably be enough in 2018 to do something. Mm-hmm. it just wasn't enough in 1996. Right.
2: No, I mean those these would be the kind of guys that would show up in NXT and then just be outstanding and yeah, just yeah. force their way into onto Raw. But like yeah, in the 90s they were they were not going to stand a chance there.
0: Cut to RVD in the locker room addressing Furnace via the camera. He says Furnace needs to learn some respect and RVD knows the only way to teach him is to partner with the man who taught him the meaning of the word. RVD then points to the sky in Sabu's trademark gesture.
5: The hottest topic of conversation right now is September 14th back at the ECW Arena when Worlds Collide, the Extreme Reunion, the dream partner tag team match. Doug Furtis, of course, chose his regular tag team partner, Dan Croft, a team that has ruled the Orient for some eight years now. Rob Van Dam exercised his half of the Dream Partner Tag Team contract to choose his worst enemy, Sabu. And speculation is running wild. Does Rob Van Dam actually realize that he had to go out and get the only man he feels could actually beat him to have a chance against Crawford and Furnace? Will this be the greatest tag team match in the history of ECW? Or will Rob Van Dam just double cross Sabu? But then he's gotta deal with Crawford and Furnace all by himself. Besides all this, Sabu might not sign the contract. Well, earlier this week, Rob Van Dam wanted to make sure that Sabu would be his partner. Stop right now! Stop right now! You do this, Paulie. You tell your boy he's going to be my partner on the 14th. Rob, he's not going to team with you. There's he is going to team, team. He, There's no way he's going to It's going to happen. There's no way. It's going to happen because he's the one that taught me the meaning of the word rob if you want to learn the meaning of the word look it up in a dictionary he's not gonna You you tell me he's my partner so rob van dam got the match he wanted he got the best of paulie dangerously or so he thinks because for those of us who know paulie and i'm one of them You never really win. He always sticks you with something extra. So Friday the 13th, Friday night, September 13th, the Flagstaff, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. The only matchup that will not be chosen at random has been signed. One more time, because if you want Sabu to teach respect, you've got to earn it, and you've got to learn it. Rob Van Dam, one-on-one with Sabu. 24 hours before they become dream tag team partners against Crawford and Furnace at the ECW Arena.
0: We're then back to new, like, this week's content. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, we're back from the video package of Joey Styles, who tells us that that match will happen at an event titled When Worlds Collide at the ECW Arena on September 14th. Joey covers all the angles here. Can RVD convince Sabu? Will this be the greatest tag team match in ECW history? Will RVD screw Sabu, and if he does, how will he face Furnace and Crawford alone? Joey then throws us to some backstage footage from, quote, earlier in the week, where RVD confronted Paul Heyman himself and basically threatened to kick Heyman's ass if he didn't convince Sabu to agree to the match. Heyman says that there's no way Sabu will agree to it. RVD says Sabu has to do the match because he's the one who taught Rob the meaning of the word. You want to know the meaning of a word? Look it up in the fucking dictionary, retorts Heyman. (laughs) (laughs) And his annoyed acting more than makes up for RVD's very wooden delivery. Back to Styles, who says that RVD may think he got the best of Paul E., but those who know Paul know that just when you think you've got him, he always sticks you with something extra. Oh, also RVD and Sabu will be facing each other the night before when worlds collide, further straining this possible team.
2: <laughs> this was another. This was a moment where the the continuity of the show was really confusing. Yeah, because there, like he was be- so we saw RVD backstage earlier talking about how uh, Sabu Tom respect, and he was wearing like just the the um, shorts like he is later on right so it seems like the same night and now he's upset and i don't it's like well has sabu had the opportunity to say yes or no yeah it's just it's really weird like i don't i don't get like how this story is progressing really you
0: have to really pay attention and and i also watched the week before because this was a heavy part of that episode Mm -hmm. so i'm not even sure where they said it I forget if it was Paulie or Joey Styles. Somebody at one point says that Sabu is in Japan, so he can't answer the question right now. So Right. So but <laughs> d- doesn't he know that? Doesn't RBD know that? Yeah, what he was doing was telling Paul because Paulie's close to Sabu, he's like, you need to convince him. Uh, So it's not that Cebu has said yes or no. He's just like, I'm enlisting your help by Mm -hmm. threatening to kick your ass Mm -hmm. because he's a heel. Yeah. And then Heyman's like, there's no point. He'll never agree. You're in the middle of a feud. Why would he be your partner? Right. And then so RVD's like, well, I'll really kick your ass. (laughs) And that's about where they left it. (laughs) It was, I agree, it was very confusing. It took me watching it several times and watching... 20 minutes of another episode and then reading a lot of wikipedia and other sources to figure out what was going on
2: so so the idea is like is like listen when he gets comes back yeah you're gonna help me convince him
0: yes that's pretty much what exactly
2: because we everybody
0: knows that you're close with him
2: okay and and that would make sense if he wasn't like throwing shit around as though he's already been rejected it's
0: very straight he comes in real hot and it's very weird (laughs) i think it's because he's so shitty of an actor that they're like Alright, well he can convey emotion through his words, so what if he just throws chairs?
2: Like if that gets him worked up, then he'll maybe he'll sound angrier?
0: Yeah, I don't know.
2: I don't know. Yeah. Okay, when when you kind of like step back and like maybe remove some elements that don't make sense, yeah. then you can get it.
0: Yeah. Uh we then go to another video package, this time covering a match from the recent Natural Born Killers event. Lori Fullington was then the real life wife of ECW Mainstay the Sandman, though in storyline she is now his ex wife, as ECW champion Raven has brainwashed her and her son Tyler and turned them against the Sandman as part of their feud. Somehow this was to involve Lori having a match against Missy Hyatt at Natural Born Killers. Mm-hmm.
2: I don't exactly know why. By the way, Joey Styles keeps referring to it as a cat fight. Yeah, yes, like, I think like the wim- their women's division is the catfight division Ugh. or something like that. But he, yeah, T just keeps going on about, about how it's a catfight between these two ladies that don't like each other. Missy
0: Hyatt is, of course, a former WCW interviewer and manager who had an ugly finish with the company. After her boob popped out of her dress at an event, Hyatt claims to have come to the WCW offices and seen a blown up picture of the incident on the wall. She further claims that she asked Eric Bischoff to remove it and he refused to at which point she went over his head to his boss, and in return, he fired her. (laughs) She then sued the company for sexual harassment. Bischoff claims that he fired her for constant bad behavior and her complaining about the company hiring a second on-screen woman, Sherry Martell. Hmm. I don't know how that lawsuit resolved. I didn't look into it. I'm not sure. Anyway, the two were supposed to have a match, and Lori came out with Ravens... uh, The two being Lori Fullington and Missy Hyatt, not Missy Hyatt and Eric Bischoff. (laughs) Right. They were supposed to have a match, and Lori came out with Ravens Flunkies, The Raven's Nest, Stevie Richards, Nova, and The Blue Meanie. We then cut to Joey Styles, who said that some surprising events took the fight in a new direction. And then we go back to Natural Born Killers. To see ring announcer Joel Gertner in the ring, along with Hyatt and the Sandman, who is holding his trademark Singapore cane.
6: Catfight 96 will not be happening tonight at the ECW Arena. Why? Allow me to illustrate why. Badass. Missy Hyatt, if you would be so kind, please raise your right, not your left, arm. I must admit, I am impressed. As even an unruly mob of intoxicated idiots, which you coincidentally happen to be, can see Missy Hyatt's arm was broken last week. This kid's begging for another ass-whipping. In light of this, I see no reason why this nose-jobbed, collagen-lipped, pony breasted liposuctioned non-wrestler should even be in the
5: ring tonight. Well, he sure does have a keen grasp of the obvious. Unfortunately for him, the Sandman has a pretty good grasp on that Singapore king.
6: Since I am a loyal employee of extreme championship wrestling. I'll tell you what, if you're really into ripping off clothes, why not come to room 503 later tonight? And if you would be so kind, please bring change for a 20. Oh, he did. And
5: Missy's heard enough. But her arm is hurting her. She can barely swing that cane. Of course it wasn't a That's how you do it! So much for Joel Gertner.
2: I just need to point out that I really don't like Joel Gertner. (laughs) I
0: I agree, but I think I think it's in a good way. I like, I think he's doing his job the way that you don't like him.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, that could be true, but it's just that he's around forever. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. But no, no. I mean, he's definitely like he, whatever it is that gets ECW fans mad. Yeah. He knows what it is. <laughs> yeah. And he is always like anytime he starts talking people, start booing. So they he, hate him. He obviously is getting a lot of heat, but he's just, I don't, he's just grinding grating on me personally. Gertner
0: demonstrates that Hyatt can't move her arm, which is in a cast, as the arm is broken. In truth, her elbow was broken at an earlier event by Lori Fullington when Lori missed a cane shot that was supposed to be the back of Hyatt and nailed her directly in the elbow instead.
2: Ouch. Wow, that's got to be quite a... Oh, I mean, I suppose back in the day, like, those canes were a lot more legitimate than Right. But a cane shot, like, dislocated or broke her elbow? Yeah. Yikes. Gertner then
0: talks a bunch of shit about the plastic surgery Hyatt has had done and then tells her to stop by his hotel room later in the night and bring change for a 20 yeah here's more of that treatment of women (laughs) it's going to get a lot worse though (laughs) right Hyatt takes the Singapore cane and canes the shit out of Gertner even with her broken arm like eventually she gets down to one arm but at first she swings with both arms and then it really hurts her because she's like that's not a fake injury right So she starts just doing it with one arm, and then when she kind of gives up on that, the Sandman gets it, and he beats the fuck out of Joel Gertner. He makes up for it, yeah. (laughs) We then cut to the blue meanie in the ring trying to protect Lori Fullington and being caned in response by Hyatt. Then Stevie Richards gets on the mic, and before Hyatt can cane him, he references a storyline sexual harassment suit that he had against Hyatt. Uh, That was kind of their inside joke because she was suing WCW for sexual harassment.
2: Funny.
4: As everybody in this arena knows, Dancing Stevie Richards currently has a sexual harassment suit against you, Missy Hyatt.
5: What a joke.
6: However,
4: I am willing to drop the sexual harassment suit against you Right here, right now at the ECW arena, if you denounce the Sandman.
0: Uh, so he had, she had come into the company. She had kissed Stevie Richards against his will at some point. Mm-hmm. He sued her for sexual harassment. He says that he will drop that lawsuit if she denounces the Sandman. Hyatt apparently agreed to do so and goes the full 9 yards not just by denouncing him but insulting his potency saying that uh drinking all that beer means he can't get a boner and all that comes out is piss. <laughs> this is weird and gross.
2: This this is the other thing where it's like anytime um, they give women like a direction to go in yeah. they're always like like vindictive right. or turning manipulative, against, yeah. yeah. Any, it's like they they'll give sympathy to some degree but when it's like oh she's in a talk now right. she's gonna be a heel
6: does drinking a lot of beer make it go shh because that's all i ever saw
5: i don't believe
6: it you know when it comes to my money are you oh my god it's messy all right
5: Missy Hyatt showed the world what we already knew. He's a self-interested gold digger. And from here on out, the Sandman will stand alone. He's got no wife. He's got no son. He's got no title. And now he's got no manager. The
0: Sandman is all alone. What else can Raven take from the Sandman? Hyatt attempts to walk off, at which point the Sandman canes her right in the back of the fucking head. Yeah. Styles calls her a self-interested gold digger, the crowd chants ECW, and I can't believe how far wrestling has come in a scant 12 years. (laughs) This was actually Hyatt's exit from the company. After the elbow break, she felt that she was getting too old for this shit. And asked Heyman to let her be an announcer, and when he didn't feel like that would work, they just kind of agreed that they would go their
2: separate ways. Wait, what do you mean? I I guess I didn't catch the 12 years?
0: Oh, this happened 12 years ago? No, this happened more than 12 years ago. I'm bad at math. 22 years ago. (laughs) Oh, well, that makes more sense. Yeah, that's a long time. I'm fucking old.
2: Or, I mean, like... Or when the women's division kind of started like five years, like 15. I just
0: mean, it's not even the... It's just, you would never tune into Raw and see a man hit a woman in the back of the head with a Singapore cane. Right. (laughs) We don't even get to see any Singapore canes anymore. So anyway, uh, that was all very gross. I felt very gross about everything I just saw. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was unpleasant. (laughs) They definitely portray all the women as just, like you said, props. Like Lori Fullington is... Uh, just brainwashed by Raven she turned on Sandman she got her son to turn on it Missy Hyatt was like okay so she's the baby face with the Sandman but then at like a moment's notice when there's money in it for her yeah or at least not having her money sued away from her she like turns on him on a dime and doesn't just say like I denounce the Sandman bye she like starts insulting his dick of course because right. that's like what women
2: do yeah I mean when I was watching, I just assumed there would be something where she'd be, like, reluctant and, and stuff like that and be like, you know why I'm doing this. Yeah. But no, it's just like, just I'm just going to be full heel because that, that's just what the guys want to see.
0: Yeah. Uh, we then cut to an honest-to-god match, finally. What? And here to call all of the action is our own extremist, Dave Amantor.
2: Okay. This match that we have is going to be uh, Dangerous Devin Storm. Who we actually remember from Monday Nitro. Yeah. On February 12th, 1996. He he faced had, Sabu? Is that right? He had a losing effort against the United States champion Conan. Oh, that's right. Yep. And he will be facing a young Sprout named Louis Piccoli. <laughs> young, young Sprout. Young um, Sprout. However, as the bell rings, we are actually seeing a, a camera backstage where the human suplex machine Taz is screaming about Rob Van Dam telling Sabu his weakness. so because This he promo
0: can, was baffling. I yeah. did not understand what he was saying.
2: The, the gist I got was that Rob Van Dam should tell Sabu his weakness because he... Tell, tell Sabu Taz's weakness. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, I could beat him even if he knew my weakness. Yeah, which I guess RVD knows.
0: Right. And maybe if we were watching where ECW, that would make sense. I'm not saying like it doesn't make any sense, but out of context like this. Right. I had no clue what he was talking about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. he and you know, he's a he's a a ways removed from being like a color commentator. Yeah. So it's just batshit crazy. He's also oh, he's also mad
0: that RVD picked Sabu instead of him. Right. Even though like part of his character is I'm angry at everything and everyone all the time like he's also mad that he's not somebody's partner right he does not seem like someone who's interested in being a partner
2: well he has found a way to be aff- affronted he's yeah like, the, sure. I'm, I'm mad about this yeah like i wouldn't come to your birthday party but i want an invitation
0: well that hits close to home that's the kind of person i am
2: <laughs> <laughs> so when we finally return to the in-ring action devon storm is on the ring apron he slams Spicoli's head on the turnbuckle before hitting what is essentially like a reverse huracarana. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else to describe it, but it's just, eh. We get an arm drag and a drop kick that sends Louis to the outside, where he follows up with a, a top turnbuckle senton, executed with the grace of a man falling down a flight of stairs. <laughs> While Storm recuperated from his own maneuver, Louis Spicoli grabs a chair and wails away on Storm's left leg with it. We get back to the ring and Louie continues to work on on Storm's knee as Joey Styles tells us ECW is where the big boys bash each other's skulls, (laughs) which doesn't really roll off the tongue as well as where the big boys play, but whatever. Uh, We get lots of woos in the crowd during this time, which is uh, obviously an homage to the nature boy Ric Flair which is fitting since the top heel Shane Douglas makes not too subtle jabs at Flair all the time.
0: Yeah, we'll certainly cover that when Douglas finally makes his way over to WCW. Which you got a ways for. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> you and I will be 60 years old, but and we'll talk we'll about it. We will
2: be dead. <laughs> well, that's took a turn. Right. Coincidentally, Louie attempts the figure 4 only to be kicked right out of the ring. Storm rallies back with a baseball slide and an Irish whip into the guardrail for Mr. Spicoli. Now, dangerous Devin Storm has a chair and hits Louie with it a couple of times before throwing him back into the ring. After a little bit of back and forth, Storm hits a, a slingshot leg lariat for a two count. Storm then goes to the top rope and hits a flying snapmare for a two count. The dangerous one whips Spicoli into the ropes and tries for a back body drop, but is caught in a Death Valley driver by Spicoli. Which Joey Styles refers to as a fireman's buster.
0: Yeah, I thought that was weird.
2: And that is going to do it as Spicoli goes for a nonchalant cover, a pretty arrogant cover, actually, and gets the pinfall victory. Now this was the first Louis Spicoli match I've ever seen.
0: Uh I thought he was really good. I liked him. I Devin Storm doesn't really do it for me. But mm-hmm. like I get why Louis is a thing. I I liked watching his match.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like when there's guys that are kind of maybe less experience yeah. that if they're just they're not going to really improve their in reaction if they're yeah. just throwing chairs at each other <laughs> yeah, sure so uh, but
0: I but I'm just I I'm excited to see some more Spicoli matches in the future mm-hmm. uh, he's got a
2: lot of back knee going on I just, uh, I was not paying that much despite not
0: being like I mean most of the time when the guy's got a ton of back knee they're big and muscular because they're on steroids mm-hmm.
2: he might just have back knee <laughs> I don't know he might just have like oily skin I'm not right. sure yeah, and we're yeah. Speaking of which, we're actually going to see both of these guys in Monday, on Monday Nitro in yeah, the future. Yeah, so. that's true. And they did uh, Styles didn't make some mention about um, Devin Storm coming from WCW.
0: He did. He said he he came from WCW and was trying to make a name for himself in ECW, which I thought was funny because he had one WC. He had like a tryout match on Nitro. He didn't really come from WCW. Right.
2: No, I I just remember that he it was he mentioned WCW but didn't yeah. make any jokes about it at that. Oh, At sure. Yeah. Moment. Yeah.
0: After the match, Damian Kane comes in with a mic. Kane uh, is um, sort of a manager, but he's also Devin Storm's tag team partner some of the time.
3: hmm Mr. Stickle. Louie. 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 There an echo in here? Brother, I mean you know how. You just beat my partner, in the center of the ring with a move, that I don't know what the hell you called it, but that was impressive. That was impressive. My lady liked what she seen. You getting my drift? If my lady says she likes you, I gotta like you. So you impressed me. Now, go ahead, center stage. Do a little pirouette. Let them see all the merchandise. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, brother. That is with me. You can simply
5: join us.
3: Plain and simple. All you gotta do
5: is shake my hand an offer of managerial services. All you gotta do is shake my hand. Well, Spicoli has found his niche. Maybe a manager is what he needs to take him right to the top of ECW. And there's the handshake. I believe I am about to be corrected. Fireman's buster on Damian Kay. Spicoli wants to make it on his own.
0: He also has his uh, valet, Lady Alexandra, who's sort of in like sort of dominatrix type gear. She comes in the ring with him. Mm-hmm. And Kane says that Alexandra was impressed by Spicoli. So Kane likes him too. He then has Alexandra turn a little circle to, I guess, show Spicoli the wares.
2: Well, oh, he says the merchandise.
0: Yeah, he's he basically he has her spin around, and then he implies that Louis Piccoli can bone her if he joins like a little stable that Damien Kane's <laughs> <Cain's laughs> putting together. Uh, he also just moves Lady Alexander around by just grabbing her by the hair and pulling her in whatever direction he wants, mm-hmm. which is awful. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, really, really gross. <laughs> it's like not as physical as putting someone through a table, but it's almost just like worse to see in a way. It's just so casual. I don't know. <laughs> right. I I hated it. You really. I think it was cuz they're a real life couple and it just feels like that's kind of how he is at home. I felt like Oh, like, I don't know. I don't know that for a fact. He could probably sue me for libel for suggesting it, but it just felt like a familiar gesture to me, that's all.
2: There it seems like there's a weird thing at ECW where it's just like, "We're going to hire you, and if you have a woman that wants to show up, <laughs> go right ahead." <laughs> Uh, so
0: anyway, uh, yes, yeah, Spicoli can join them uh, and presumably bone this dude's wife if he will just shake Damien Kane's hand. Spicoli nods and shakes Kane's hand, but then hangs on and hits a Death Valley driver uh, that will later become known as the Spicoli driver. I guess right now is known as a fireman's buster. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, the crowd loves Louie and chance for him to hit it one more time. So he happily obliges them. Then he sort of, like, teabags Kane, like in the modern video ter- game terms, where you just stand over somebody and kind of dip your balls close to their head. Yeah. There's still, like, a foot of room. He doesn't, like, rest them on his forehead, but he's just like, <laughs> right. my balls are closer to your face than they were before.
2: What are you going to do about it? <laughs> nothing. You're going to yeah. do nothing. This ended up being
0: the last appearance of Damian Kane, real-named Edward Bazazza. <laughs> It's not important anyone knows that. I just looked it up and I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Why did he go by that? Yeah, Teddy Bezaza. <laughs> uh, also, the last appearance of his wife, Lady Alexandra, as the two were fired after making, quote, inappropriate comments about Missy Hyatt, <laughs> who was also leaving the company on her own. So uh, it's very unclear what that was. I tried to find out. Uh, the closest I, I came was uh, Damian Kane, said in 2012, I found a little interview with him where he said that that's not true, that's not why he was fired, uh, he has heat with Heyman, and that one day he will tell the real story in a shoot interview, but I guess no one has yet uh, paid Mr. Bazaza for his backstage <laughs> stories, so that, that big shoot interview remains unshot.
2: <laughs> and, and as a follow-up question, they asked, who are you? <laughs> it does, it, it does, pretty much go without saying that there's always some sort of trouble wherever missy hyatt is
0: yeah yeah
2: that's just that's just who she is
0: after a commercial we are right back to see a match uh, another match from natural born killers taz versus tommy dreamer taz awesomely comes to the ring with a bunch of dudes in matching black and orange Mm tracksuits. they're fucking cool it's just a great look and they've got one of them's got a flag yeah it's great
2: I mean, all this—this this is all, all the stuff I remember from their invasion of RAW.
0: Oh, sure, yeah, that's uh, coming
2: up in a few months, in which I was like, I didn't realize he had like a whole like team.
0: <laughs> he also has his annoying manager Bill Alfonso, mm-hmm. who is like uh, my version of Joel Gertner. Like, I
2: hate Bill Alfonso. I mean, I be- hate that man. Between the two, I would get rid of Bill Alfonso first.
0: Oh, that whistle! Yeah, is just awful teeth. Mm -hmm. which I don't don't like picking on someone's appearance, but he is rough to look
2: at. Right. I mean, because he was a referee. Of all the referees to pick to be like an on-screen presence, he is not easy to look at.
0: Taz seems to get a mixed reaction from the crowd. Uh, He is a heel, but clearly some of these fans like his extremely well-protected badass persona. Yes. Uh, He had recently, (laughs) kind of funny... Uh, anecdote: He had recently had a match against uh, a UFC guy, like a not a huge name. I don't. I don't remember. I'm not going to look it up. You mean like nowadays? No, 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 no. This was in '96. Oh, okay. He had a, a in ECW. It was supposedly a shoot match. It it wasn't right. Um, and the guy was unhappy. There was like a lot of arguing about the direction the match was going to take. Blah blah blah. They had somebody had convinced him that uh, if he would agree to lose to Taz, Missy Hyatt would give him a blow job. Oh, all right. And then after the match, (laughs) she told him, I don't blow jobbers. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. I don't blow jobbers is great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Taz is in great shape here. Like compared to like later fat Taz, he (laughs) just he's like a little ball of pure toughness. He's, like, shorter than we are, but I would not fuck with Taz in a million years. Yeah.
2: It's, like, I can, you can tell when he's in shape because, like, his really short shorts is yeah. not as distracting. Sure. <laughs> Taz tells the crowd that dreamer
0: matches always have chair shots, table spots, etc., but tonight they aren't going to see any of that. They're only going to see Tommy Dreamer get out-wrestled by the human suplex machine. Boo. <laughs> Out next is Tommy Dreamer, the innovator of violence, and his valet, Beulah McGillicuddy. Uh, Beulah, interestingly enough, in real life, was a backup dancer for Prince, who befriended two-time Major League Baseball all-star Ron Gant, who then introduced her to his friend Raven, who introduced her to Paul E., wow. who convinced her to join ECW. She was a wrestling fan uh, going way back. I think she's from the Calgary area or something. Uh, look it up on Wikipedia and, do you eat me that I'm a liar? <laughs> Her character was originally a girl that Dreamer had rejected in his childhood uh, because she was fat and now she was hot and banging Raven to get revenge. (laughs) Dreamer gave her several pile drivers during that feud because violence against women was all the rage, so of course she eventually turned babyface and joined the man who kept trying to injure her by telling Raven that she was pregnant with Tommy's baby. Of course, because women are manipulative liars, it turns out that she was not only not pregnant, but she was cheating on Dreamer with fellow manipulative minx Kimona Wanalea. (laughs) yep (laughs) um come again (laughs) but of course even women who are in love with each other still need a man so dreamer turned beulah's infidelity into a chance for him to get some hot threesome action and the women just sort of agreed they didn't seem to have any agency in the decision (laughs) everyone kind of remembers the moment where it it seems like it's going to be shane douglas who's the one that she's cheating with but then it's revealed to be kimona and then dreamer like goes like I'm t- I'll take them both. I'm hardcore. And then they do like a weird triangle kiss. Yeah. Yeah. T- <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dreamer and Beulah would eventually marry in 2002, but I don't know if they were legitimately together in 96 or not. I don't think they were, but they might've been. Beulah is different from the other ECW women. Um, they've there's they're attractive, but sort of a trashy element to them. Right. Uh, Beulah has maybe a fraction of that but she she's like the cute trashy girl in your next door trailer right? <laughs> <laughs> she, she's got like more of an innocence thing than any of the others and mm-hmm. it, it sets her apart in the world of ecw uh that she's still a very attractive woman mm-hmm. but she, it just doesn't feel as like sleazy as the other women i guess would probably be a way to put
2: it and i mean that's how she's presented too right i mean that's- yes Every other woman is presented as trashy. Yes. And that they're there because they're getting boned by someone.
0: Also, by the way, Kimona Wanalea, speaking of her, she also just rapped with the company. Uh, supposedly, like, Missy Hyatt talked her into leaving for some reason. I didn't really chase down details on oh, that, but... Wherever she goes, it's yeah. always trouble. <laughs> I just wanted to... I'm, uh, th- I might even just be a rumor, but I just wanted to mention it because you had talked about Missy Hyatt kind of stirring up shit.
2: Yeah. And Kim- Kimona will see briefly in wsw Leo meow yes yes (laughs) a far classier (laughs) name
0: it is sad when Leo meow is your classier name (laughs) right (laughs) all right so then uh taz versus tommy dreamer from natural born killers i don't exactly know why this match is happening or what the personal issue is because both were feuding with other people in the longer term during this period so i think it was just like something you know is a short feud it wasn't really like a long program that they worked uh to start things off taz tosses dreamer to the outside he whips dreamer into the guardrail then slams him into it several times before grabbing a chair and slapping dreamer across the back with it well styles as styles asks what happened to the promised mat wrestling quote what was that a greco-roman chair shot yeah (laughs) tommy is whipped into the opposite rail then thrown into the ring has lunges for him but dreamer gets a drop toe hold and a hip toss a fuck him up dreamer chant starts up as these two size each other up and lock up the two exchange some very laborious chain wrestling as Tommy dreamer uh, even a much younger version of him that I'm used to seeing mm-hmm. just not much of an athlete no um, he's connecting with the crowd they're into it so I'm not like complaining it's just when they get to the, the chain wrestling you're just like they're in slow motion right, right. now
2: No, because it's like um, when they get into like, oh, now they're going to wrestle. Yeah. Tommy Dreamer, it's like side suplex is (laughs) the the difficulty level that he is at. Taz works a
0: headlock, gets a two count, kicks Dreamer in the head, then whips Tommy into the ropes. But Tommy drops down and punches Chaz in the dick before hitting a snap suplex for two. Right in the dick. Dreamer gets a sunset flip for two and then a belly to back suplex. But both men stay down. So Dreamer hits the move, but then he starts selling, which Styles kind of wonders about. Taz is the first up and stomps all over Dreamer, and I want to kill Bill Alfonso. <laughs> <laughs> you just hear his whistle constantly, and then they show him just screaming into the camera with his accent.
2: Yeah. Oh, God, he, I hate Bill he Alfonso. He also, he tends to spit on the camera, yeah. too. Yeah,
0: yes, he does. Taz tries to lock on the Taz mission, a rear naked choke, but he can't quite get it. He gets up and pulls Dreamer's shirt up to reveal that Tommy's ribs are taped, so no wonder he's been selling since his own belly-to-back suplex. Taz gets a T-bone suplex, the Tazplex, then zeroes in on the ribs with kicks. Taz locks on a very weird bridge bow and arrow type hold where he's got like his head in Tommy's back and he's bending him by the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was cool looking. I liked it. Uh, we get Alfonso shoving his disgusting teeth in the camera some more. Taz then throws Dreamer to the outside once again. He tosses him into the guardrail, but Tommy goes up and over. Team Taz, which is the name of all those guys in the orange and black uh, tracksuits, then holds Dreamer across the rail so Taz can hit some more chair shots. I know that ECW didn't have a lot of disqualifications. It was like an option, but they didn't use it very much, mm-hmm. but surely when eight dudes hold somebody still, so one guy can hit him with a chair, right? like that's not a DQ the <laughs> interference by like six other dudes. Taz tries to whip him again, but Tommy reverses and Taz goes into the ring post. Dreamer brains him with a chair, then slides the chair into the ring along with Taz, where he hits a bulldog onto the chair but Taz gets a foot on the ropes to stop the count at two. Taz drops Dreamer onto the chair, then sets Tommy up on the top turnbuckle. Taz tries to hit a belly-to-belly from the top rope, but Dreamer holds on and Taz goes down alone. Dreamer dives from the top rope to the floor onto all of Team Taz. He then gets a table from under the ring and puts it on the ring apron, and then hits a baseball slide into the table, which drives that into Team Taz. On the opposite side of the floor, Bill Alfonso has a chair, so Dreamer does a baseball slide into him, too. This gives Taz time to recover, and the human suplex machine gets a huge German suplex on the innovator of violence. Taz demands a chair and tries to hit Dreamer, but referee Pee Wee Moore takes the chair away. It incensed Taz suplexes the ref. Taz grabs the table from one end and sets it so one end is on the top rope in a corner and the other end on the floor, making like a little ramp. Mm Mm-hmm. He grabs Dreamer and hits a big belly-to-belly suplex, putting Dreamer through the table. Joey is mostly just mad at Taz for lying about there being no table spots tonight. He's just (laughs) disgusted by this. It's ECW, and he's just offended that... Not that he's seeing a table spot, but someone lied about it. It's just a bridge too far. Dreamer hits a low blow and goes for a DDT, but Taz reverses it into a suplex. He locks on the Taz mission, but of course there's no ref. Beulah comes into the ring to beg for mercy for her man. Bill Alfonso comes in and backs her into a corner, then grabs a chair. She shrinks into a little terrified ball to shield herself, and I feel very uncomfortable, as Bill Alfonso menaces her until Terry Bam Bam Gordy enters the ring to stop him. Why is is Terry Gordy involved in this? Well, I'll tell you, Dave. (laughs) Terry Bam Bam Gordy, real name Terry Mecca, was a legend in his day, the giant enforcer of the fabulous Freebirds, a trio which included P.S. Michael Hayes and Buddy Roberts. The group worked legendary programs in several territories, including memorable feuds with the Junkyard Dog in Mid-South Wrestling and the Von Erich Boys of World Class Championship Wrestling in Dallas. They had a very short stint in the WWF and worked a bit in WCW. Uh, Gordy also did significant time in Japan, and it was on a flight to Japan in 1993 that Bam Bam overdosed on painkillers and slipped into a coma. (laughs) Gordy would recover, but he had suffered permanent brain damage as a result and would never be the same. So unfortunately, by 1996, despite being only 35 years old, Gordy is a shadow of his former self and is instead leaning on having like very bloody matches in Japanese death matches and ECW to kind of hide that he sucks now that was he was 35 35 years old he'll be dead in like five years from now (sighs) yeah in ecw gordy was a frequent tag team partner of tommy dreamers and the two squared off several times against the eliminators and indeed as bam bam enters the ring he's closely followed by saturn and Kronos, the aforementioned eliminators who hit their total elimination finisher on Gordy, uh, where one of them leg sweeps and the other does a spinning heel kick at the same time. Mm -hmm. It looks great. It's maybe my favorite tag team finisher of all time.
2: Obviously, ECW thinks it looks great because they do it all the time (laughs) to everyone.
0: (laughs) On the heels of the Eliminators comes primetime Brian Lee, who had faced Gordy earlier on in the same evening. At this point in his career, Lee was most famous for portraying the fake Undertaker at SummerSlam 94.
2: Sure was. (laughs) Sure
0: was. He attacks Gordy with a devastating hold, uh, the Asiatic Spike, as Taz is still choking Dreamer. Another ref enters the ring and is on the receiving end of a total elimination, as is some jobber whose name I missed. (laughs) Lee then dumps the jobber over the top rope with absolutely no care for how that guy would land. (laughs) He, like, choke slams him over the top rope onto the floor, and that guy's probably dead now. Yeah. Another jobber gets a total elimination. A tag team of two jobbers gets a double total elimination. (laughs) Bubba Ray Dudley then shows up. He's able to actually fight off the eliminators, but Lee chokeslams him. Another Dudley, Sign Guy Dudley, gets a total elimination. Only this one gets screwed up, and both Eliminators do the kick, and neither does the leg sweep. I've never <laughs> seen that happen before, but it was... I would just think the same guy would do the same thing every time. I was pretty sure Saturn always does the leg sweep. I thought Cornel- so, too. Yeah. But on this time, they both jumped up and did the kick. It was really <laughs> weird. Uh, Hack Myers gets in the ring and hits some punches, because his gimmick was he was the Shaw of ECW, so every time he punched somebody, people would chant Shah. Uh, what? What? What is
2: that Shah
0: like uh, it's, it isn't like a the king of I- like the monarch of Iran used to be called the Shah. Oh, okay. so I think it's just like a term for king kind of thing.
2: OK, it doesn't make any sense c- when you look at the guy, but sure,
0: you know, I didn't get it at all either. Yeah. The only reason I looked it up is because he was punching him and I was like, what the fuck is the crowd yelling? Right. So of all the guys I just called jobbers, he was the one I looked up because I was like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he gets total elimination Uh, Oh, no, he doesn't. Taz hits him with the Tazplex. Oh, never mind. My next note is then he gets total elimination. (laughs) (laughs) The heels celebrate and someone is bleeding, and I don't think it's Brian Lee, but he is covered in whomever's blood it actually belongs to.
2: Uh, Joey Styles says it was Gordy that was bleeding from the mouth. Ew. So he's got mouth blood on him. (laughs) (laughs) The worst kind of blood. (laughs) Right.
0: The heels retreat. And that's the end of... Well, they don't retreat. They just march off successfully. Retreating implies like somebody stood up to them and they backed off. They just like... No. No, they kicked everyone's ass and then they laughed about it and then they left. Mm -hmm. Uh, What did
2: you make of all that? I I feel like that match was like ECW in a nutshell. Sure. It was a clusterfuck. Yeah. And and it it also showed that for the majority of like the regular guys... It doesn't look good when they do straight wrestling. Right, sure. I mean Taz I mean Taz obviously is able to wrestle really well, but Tommy Dreamer is one of their biggest names and he just looks clueless in the ring still. Um Yeah, and then I just people just came down to the ring. I I don't it didn't feel like there was rhyme or reason as far as yeah. who came. Yeah, it
0: was um so Bam Bam came because he had teamed with Dreamer, so presumably he wanted to help protect Beulah because right. he's Dreamer's friend. Um, the Eliminators had feuded with the team of Dreamer and Bam Bam, so I guess they were just still mad at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Lee had faced Bam Bam earlier that evening, so he came out, and then I think it was just a bunch of baby jobbers to be like, don't be so mean. Right. But then Bubba... I guess I don't, I mean, maybe I'm just thinking of where the Dudleys were a few years from now, but I was surprised that Bubba Ray Dudley came out. Mm -hmm. They gave him a tiny bit of offense. Only he and Shaw, of all the people that ran in, got any offense. Yeah. With Shaw, it seemed to just be because the crowd loved chanting. Right. And they were like, well, we got to give the crowd their chance to do their little chant. Right. But Bubba (laughs) was like the only guy who seemed to get some offense to be like, this guy gets like a tiny fraction of protection Mm -hmm. to his character.
2: Uh Bubba Ray also seems like the guy where it's like Even if you tell me I don't get some offense in when I go to the ring, I'm going to get some offense in. Right,
0: That's true, too. <laughs> he might have just been protecting himself, right. which I wouldn't blame him for uh yeah i i it wasn't a great match it was uh, but it wasn't i like i see why that was appealing for people mm-hmm. and if that was on a show where i got to see some cruiserweights and some other stuff yeah and then that one match was in there that's fine mm-hmm. I, I can see where that i i get the appeal especially because i think the character of taz is like a plus at this point yeah i would i i could see kind of watching hardcore tv now I could go back on the network and watch some of this. And I'd mostly be like wanting to see what happens with Taz mm-hmm. like any given week. Just like give me more Taz. Let me mainline Taz. Right. <laughs> uh, so what do you think of hardcore TV overall?
2: Well, there's uh, there are parts of it that don't age well. Yeah. Especially the portrayal of women. Yeah. Um, I would say their in ring wrestling quality is just it. It it does. Re- it reminds you just of garbage wrestling in kind of the negative way. Sure. Um, but I mean, it was, de- I mean, at the time it was definitely like hot, like people love that. Um, yeah. I Mainly I came away being like, it makes me uncomfortable when they have women around.
0: Yeah. That definitely didn't age well. Um, some of the issues involving like music rights have really affected the way we view this now mm-hmm. uh, with the theme song being changed. Um, that whole first segment where we had the Rob Van Dam stuff and then the Lori Fullington stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that that would have had the uh, Miserloo, the Pulp Fiction theme, as people sort of know it. Mm-hmm. Um, they would play that under a lot of promo packages, and those those packages would be called Pulp Fiction promos. Yeah. Um, but obviously, WWE Network just can't use that song. Mm-hmm. So we just get like it. You could tell where it was supposed to be because they use like generic surfer music like it was still like trying to kind of keep the theme right. of surfer music so i think that impacts it um it feels very 90s but mm-hmm. at the time that was good yeah so i don't even mean that as an insult um whereas raw also feels very 90s at this period I think Nitro has elements that feel very 90s and elements that transcend yeah. and feel like a like watching a legitimate sport contest, which could be from kind of any era, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe a feather in Nitro's cap that of the three shows, it's the best at capturing that timelessness sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least whereas those other things feel 90s. And when I say that, I mean, in like a cheesy way, this feels very 90s in the like fun grunge nirvana alternative radio sort of way right um yeah. what the cool kids were into in the 90s you mm-hmm. know um so it's it's feels very 90s but a totally different part of the 90s than like the sort of day glow um i don't know exactly what i'm trying to describe but it's just it's a different slice of life and one that i appreciated because this was kind of Even though I was pretty young, I was too young to be like a real cool Nirvana fan or something. But this is more the element of the 90s that I associated with. I was into like the alternative rock scene and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So this was, it was real fun to watch. Uh, I do think I would go back. Like I said, I'll go back on the network and I think I will watch more episodes of this um, and kind of just see where these storylines go until I get kind of bored with it.
2: Yeah, I would would say when it came to Hardcore TV that, I feel like I would need to watch more of the episodes before I have an idea of how to like evaluate them. Right. Because it's so different. And, and it just, just because it's different than how the other wrestling shows are run doesn't mean it's poor quality. Right. It's just they're, they emphasize more on advancing storylines on their regular TV show. Um, and showing matches that are highlights from bigger shows, right? That's just their style. So I feel like in order to properly um, have a night, like know if an episode's good or not, you need to see a lot more of them to sp- to be just better acquainted with their with their product. Yeah. Um,
0: now, so let me maybe phrase it this way, and I feel like I know what your answer is going to be, but this is maybe the best way to frame this question because mm-hmm. we talk about Nitro, which I think if you're listening to this podcast on a You know every episode basis you're at least passing familiarity with Mm -hmm. Um, if you're listening to any wrestling podcast you probably got a more than passing familiarity with raw Uh, this is probably the show that we've talked about that the least people are going to have seen so my question to you is would you recommend to someone that's never seen hardcore TV is it worth them seeking out of the network and watching two three episodes just familiarizing themselves with it or would you say you know what this is it's fine but it's best left. There's better things you can be doing with your time.
2: I, I would I would say that um, ECW does get better later on. Yeah. Um, 98, 99. There's, there's just be, better overall quality of wrestling. Yeah. Um, and you'll see a lot more uh, just like kind of regular acts, um, especially because uh, I just remember like Rob Van Dam having so many great title matches. Right. Taz. Like when they brought back Bam Bam Bigelow. Sure. Yeah. Um, i i think the quality does improve what speaking of um this is something
0: that we're going to talk about tomorrow on the big raw episode that we're going to do mm-hmm. uh but doesn't sid have like a memorable short stint in ecw i don't even know if he has matches but he like would just come out and power bomb guys and yeah. he was over as hell with the crowd yeah I've, when
2: does that happen i don't remember i feel like I think it's next year. I think it's ninety seven okay, at some point. Sure, some. T- I think it's after he leaves WWF. He does like a low stint, which, like you said, I he might not even wrestle a single match. Yeah, yeah. He just might come out there to powerbomb people. Like, it's like, oh, let's do a better version of Brian Lee.
0: It's interesting how many guys had little stints in ECW, where um, Brian Pillman, yeah, Steve Austin. It wasn't like, wow, Steve Austin had this great feud or this memorable match, mm-hmm. but he had a very short stint and he made the most of it. Yeah. And like that little, it's it's a footnote, but like it's in his legend. Like he went there, he cut some hilarious promos on Bischoff that really got him over and parlayed that into a piece of greater success with WWF.
2: Yeah, I, I always gave credit to Paul Heyman for letting wrestlers... uh giving them the opportunity to showcase themselves, yes. reinvent themselves even. Um I mean, I feel like Steve Austin's time in 95 was the reason why WWF signed him. Yeah. And and obviously that worked out really well for WWF. Mm-hmm. Um and, and yeah, like and someone like Brian Lee who kind of burned out on the on the main shows right. still has something that he could do. Although
0: Montoya was like a legitimate player in ecw you know that's incredible Mm -hmm. (laughs) funny word choice i Uh, suppose but uh, for those (laughs) wondering why we laughed at that it's because he was just incredible in ecw (laughs) (laughs) all right well that brings us to just one last thing and that's our segment of the night and our mvp let's start with mvp this week i'll go first uh this isn't a way of saying that everyone was bad Okay. But I had a hard time picking an MVP. Right. So the person I went with uh, is Joey Styles. Okay. And it's not that Joey Styles was amazing on the show, but it's more of like a a lifetime achievement award for being sure. the sole voice of the show week in and week out. Mm-hmm. For eventually, when they start doing pay per views, I know that he he eventually gets partners, but that he did pay per views solely by himself. Um it'd be very easy and I'm not a fan of his screaming oh my god aspect of, of his yeah. announcing but it would be very easy to be like well I find him annoying so I'm not watching this whole show because I hear him constantly Yeah. but most of the time he's just doing a good job doing play by play giving me information I need to know on these storylines because the way it's edited can make it very confusing and hard to get through mm-hmm. uh, so overall I thought Joey Styles was good and it was like it was nice to have him kind of there holding my hand in a way that I don't know that I would have felt if he had, like, a partner. It was almost like me and him are getting through this together or something. Yeah. I, I liked it.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I I will give my MVP to the franchise, Shane Douglas. Sure. Um, I thought his – I, I love the opening promo. It still kills me that he was trying to convince <laughs> you that he swam. All yeah. Bad. yeah. Um, it, it just – it was pretty quintessential – Shane Douglas promos at the time. Yeah. Even if he doesn't have much of a focus or or it's like just pit bull number two. Yeah. He knows how to get himself over and to get over the product. So I felt like especially since he's not really the champion. Yeah. He made himself like appear to be the most important part of the show.
0: Yes, I would which, agree with that.
2: Yeah, so I would
0: give my M V P to him. Alright. Uh and then segment of the night, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Spicoli and Storm um, mostly for the angle afterward with Damian Kane, um, because the crowd is pretty into Spicoli after the match but they were really into him after he gave the two Death Valley drivers to Damian Kane. he's he's coming off Rad Radford like mm-hmm. a stupid WF gimmick that went nowhere it'd be easy for him to get like a uh, you know like fans chanting husky harris at Bray wyatt right you know what i mean yeah but instead they got behind him they were they were like willing to look past that because this guy showed them something connected with them uh the fact that they chanted one more and he gave it to it he gave them exactly what they wanted and they loved it uh so it i'm not even going to say devon storm and spicoli i'm going to say the post-match angle with uh spicoli and Damian yeah. Kane. and that's that, my segment of the
2: night and that's another great example of what ecw did because like base louis piccoli they just did like a reset for him, and and just let him be kind of a more natural uh character and a wrestler yeah and as we'll see pretty quickly is that he's gonna parlay that into uh a nice job at wcw yeah i'm looking forward to that so um as far as my segment well most of them are really offensive so um I, I think I'll give, because it was just goofy as hell and didn't make any sense, I'll give it to that Rob Van Dam, Paul Heyman sure. confrontation, because it doesn't make sense from the very beginning, and I like that, that Paul Heyman, while he's there obviously trying to get his own wrestler over, yeah. made him seem really stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with
0: the look up, you want to know the meaning of a word, look it up in a fucking dictionary. Right. <laughs> the best part about that night, we didn't really hit on it when I described it, is Uh, the whole thing where Rob Van Dam says like he taught me the meaning of the word yeah that's referring to like a different segment taped like a week before where he's like I'm going to teach you the meaning of the respect of respect with the guy who taught me the meaning of the word Mm -hmm. so they're talking about the word respect right yeah but in the backstage part with Paul Heyman nobody says respect he just out of nowhere says he taught me the meaning of the word. Haven's reply should be like, the meaning of what word? Right. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, that's going to close the book on ECW Hardcore TV. I think we'll return to this with a bonus episode at some point in the future because I had fun watching it.
2: Well, I mean, if anything, if we kind of keep up the, the anniversary thing, we could we could go back to hardcore TV a year from now and see how things have have developed in there, or like I would I'd certainly be open to bonus episode, maybe something. Um, we could maybe look a little bit into whatever that crossover is with uh, with Jerry Lawler. Yeah, that's coming up pretty
0: soon, mm-hmm. uh, as my memory says. Uh, speaking of Jerry Lawler, we will see him tomorrow as we look at Raw Championship Friday. Yes, uh, that's part of our big uh, one year celebration of Nitro so be sure and look for that episode and then the following day we will be back at you with a discussion of the first year of Nitro, what worked, what didn't, what we liked and we might just give out some uh, Yannis that's what I'm calling the 20 years of Nitro awards. Yannis. Yannis. <laughs> Alright.
2: <laughs> sure.
0: Even the, Yeah, that just sounds like even the good stuff put you to sleep I suppose but uh, maybe we'll come up, we'll brainstorm with a better name. Uh, so we'll see you tomorrow right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro.
4: I, lose I have nothing to say at this time. You'll have to get a statement from our spokesman. I'm on the way now to have a conference call with fellow board direct members, Jim Crockett and Steve Ricard. What happened tonight was a disgrace. I'm disappointed at it. Shane Douglas is the NWA champion. He threw the belt down. He had no right to do that. Remember one thing, ECW is an NWA member and they're under our jurisdiction. I'm going to leave right now, have a conference call, and all I can say is Shane Douglas is the world champion, NWA world champion, whether he likes it or not, and we're also going to have this problem taken care of with the CCW championship. We're going to talk about the possibility of having both belts stripped him because he doesn't deserve to be the NWA world champion. When do you expect to get this resolved? Hopefully tonight. Thank you.
5: Well, Dennis Corluzo of the National Wrestling Alliance obviously upset, claiming Shane Douglas is not worthy of being the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Standing by right now is ECW Commissioner Todd Gordon, who is going to straighten out this entire situation and shock the wrestling world.
3: I listened with great interest as the representative of the NWA Board of Directors took it upon himself to inform you that they have the power to force NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling not to recognize the franchise Shannon Douglas as the World Heavyweight Champion. Well, as of noon today, I have folded NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling. In its place will be ECW. Extreme Championship Wrestling. And we recognize the franchise, Shane Douglas, as our World Heavyweight Champion. And we encourage any wrestler in the world today to come to the ECW to challenge for that belt. This is the ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling. Changing the face of wrestling.